And Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that no matter what the storm, no matter what the trial, Lord, you're with us. Our soul is secure and at rest and at peace, even through the tumultuous times, Lord, that we face presently. So we thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you for your presence. And we thank you for this time to worship you, Lord, and now get into your word. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, hey, guys. Hope you're well. Um, we're actually at the church, and uh, uh, it's good to see all of you guys, even though you see me and I don't see you. But uh, it kind of makes me sad. But I miss you guys, and I know we miss gathering together, but we can still do this. And uh, we can still do this and get into God's Word and see what He has for us. So uh, we've been going over uh, sort of a series in First Kings chapter 17 called Interruptions and Opportunities. And uh, we're in the third part of that series. And uh, we looked at the drought, we looked at the hunger, and now we're looking at the death. And so 1 Kings chapter 17, if you turn your Bibles, 1 Kings 17, and we're going to look at verse 17 to 24, 17 to 24, and uh, no one prays for tragedy, Um, no one expects for their world to be turned upside down, no one expects that when things are going wonderfully that all of a sudden a huge storm is going to roll in, right? To be real, trials suck. That's just a fact. And as we know, they produce some godly traits in us as believers, which is great. But that doesn't discount the fact that they're extremely difficult and oftentimes depressing. Yet, even with unexpected tragedy and life interruptions, we are not called to lose hope. You know, God never says give up. He never says throw in the towel. He never says it's too much for you, too bad. The Lord never encouraged us to, to throw our hands up in frustration and walk away from Him. And so, now is the time to not lose hope, right? Now is the time to be more hopeful than ever. Why? Well, because there are those who aren't walking with God, who have no hope and feel utterly helpless. So now is the time to shine as beacons of light as the storms rage on in this world. Uh, So what we're going to see tonight is an unexpected tragedy that doesn't seem like it would be an opportunity at all. Uh, This series, again, was called Interruptions Are Opportunities, and the third and last study is about death and revival. Um, how many of us know that death has, has to happen for revival to break through, spiritually speaking? Like, we're supposed to die to ourselves daily, right, so we can then fully live for God. We're, we're called to put to death our own fleshly and carnal desires so that we can live passionately for the Lord. Revival comes when we put to death surface-level dreams and live for God's perfect will. So we're going to see an unexpected tragedy as life is interrupted for this widow, for her son, for the prophet Elijah. The son died, the widow was shocked, sad, and angry, and Elijah was desperate for God to do a miracle. So Elijah sought God, and as usual, God showed up and worked mightily. So as a reminder, Elijah is led by God to a brook where the Lord provided water, bread, and meat for him. Remember, he was sustained by God for a while. And then the brook dried up, and so Elijah was led to move on to this widow and her son. And remember, Elijah knew to move on because he actually communicated with God. He prayed to the Lord. He sought him. He didn't just guess or hope things were going the right way. Elijah was clearly led to a poor widow who was starving. Elijah talks to the widow, and she's at a point in life where she's ready just to make her and her son their last meal and then die of starvation. 
Remember, there was a drought and a famine in the land, and the people were suffering and in want, and so there was already a lack of resources. So the widow brings out the ingredients for the meal, and God, uh, God multiplies it, right? Not just once, but daily, as they're provided for. So what a great witness for the widow, as Elijah, who's a God-fearing man, and the woman witnesses an amazing miracle and the provision of the Lord. And so it seems like things are going amazingly. So what could go wrong? An unexpected death, a major life interruption. The unexpected should be expected for us as humans in this fallen world, where external circumstances are often beyond our control. So let's pray, and then we'll look at these verses tonight. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, Lord that even through tragedy, Lord, we can see your triumphant hand, your strong hands, Lord, your presence, God, your working. And we just pray, Lord, that uh, we would see interruptions as opportunities to shine for you, no matter how hard they are, Lord. Just pray that you'd speak through these verses this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Kings 17, 19 says, So he departed from there, and he found Elisha. I'm sorry, wrong chapter. One more page over. 1 Kings 17, 17. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to repentance or to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Verse 20. And then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times, cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Verse 24, And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is your mouth, in your mouth, is the truth. And so here we see the death, but then we see revival as well. So everything was going great until this unexpected death took place and turned the whole mood around. And that kind of sounds familiar. Because we've all faced unexpected interruptions right in the midst of everything going well. But this was a deep trial and major distress. It had that attached to it. So what happens? Verse 17 and 18, the widow's sorrow at the death of her son. And again, I just imagine the happy times where the widow and her son, they're provided for, they're praising God, and just elated at the fact the Lord was providing for them supernaturally. And it reminds me of those seasons where everything seems to, go, to be going great. There are little to no trials. God keeps coming through. But then the dark shadows of a storm eradicates the smiles. The joy in the whole praising God thing kind of dissipates. Something is taken away. And so the widow had only one son, and I imagine in her aloneness, her son to her was everything. And we should not think it weird that trials happen in our lives, the Bible talks about. Being a Christian doesn't mean exemption from difficult situations. The difference is that as believers, we deal with difficulties differently than those who don't walk with the Lord. Because we actually see purpose in every problem. 
We don't rejoice because of the problem and hardship, but we praise God through the hardship and pray He uses the hardship to glorify Himself. But trials are difficult. But the sickness and the death of the widow's son drastically changed the atmosphere that was once joyful. We have to think about what this widow instantly lost. As a mother, she lost her only son, and losing her son, she also lost hope and provision for the future. Widows back in this day and culture, they would depend upon their children when their children grew older because they, their children will work and help them provide, be provided for. So basically, who the widow loved the most was taken away, and her security for the future was instantly shattered by this unexpected death. Also, of course, as a mom, she was grieving. There is legitimate time to grieve when loved ones pass away. Like, it's okay and actually healthy to grieve over loss. Yet, we're not called to stay in that despair the rest of our lives either. My mom died of cancer in my early 20s, and the first two years were the most difficult. Uh, it will always be difficult to think my mom will never meet my girls on this earth or on this side of heaven, but I'm not going to stay stuck in that grief either, right? God doesn't desire we stay in sorrow, but there's a legitimate time to grieve. We aren't called to stay in that grief forever, but we are to embrace that grief when death occurs, as God comforts us and gets us through. So in her anger, grief, and raw emotions, the widow blamed Elijah for the death of her son. She said, have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and kill my son? So the widow blamed Elijah, the one whom God used to provide for her. But looking at the language, we see that she more directly blamed herself for an unnamed sin in her life. She said, have you come to bring my sin to remembrance? Whatever the widow's sin was in her mind, it must have been massive, for she thought it led to the death of her son. So the widow was full of emotions and grief, for her son had died. Through the prophet Elijah was a blessing one second, but after that, tragedy. And then she thought she had come to point, you know, he'd come to point out her sin, and therefore her son had died because of her sin. She was condemning herself and condemning Elijah. And so the shock of interruptions in our lives can bring some major stress, anxiety, and a heightened emotional state, basically. So how in the world did Elijah deal with it? Well, he got frustrated, he gave up, he walked away, mad at God. No. He said, I ruined everything like I always do, so I'm going to condemn myself for being a horrible person. No. Look at it from Elijah's perspective. He was moved from a place of provision to this widow who God did a miracle through. So Elijah's faith seemed solid at this point and things were going well. God has taken, you know, he has a way of making a miracle out of a complete mess, right? That's our God. But now this tragedy, tragedy happened, and we must take a look at how Elijah immediately responded to the problem. You know, it, it's probably no surprise to us, Elijah dealt with his tragedy by prayer. He prayed. In verse 19 and 20, it says, He took him out of her arms. This demonstrates that the widow was tightly clutching her child who had passed away in her arms. And I imagine it was tough to let her lifeless child go into Elijah's arms, but that was what happened. Elijah didn't run away, blaming himself for the tragedy. He didn't try to give the widow some verses. Instead, he grabbed the child and carried him to an upper room. And it says the upper room where he was staying. So to understand the upper room, we have to understand the structure from that culture. You know, many people had temporary shelters or rooms on the roof, 
and they could go to, you know, from access outside. So these rooms were common in the East. And so this widow would have been hiding out here, just needing privacy. It says, then he cried out to the Lord. So after a miracle and a provision, there was an unexpected hardship, and the widow was grieved and mourning. And what did Elijah do? He prayed. He went to the one who Elijah counted on for constant power and provision. Elijah passionately prayed as he, he brought his crazy and sad situation to the Lord. Remember, Elijah knew that God had provided for him, and he knew that God did the miraculous in providing for the widow. So when he prayed, he basically laid the burden upon the Lord. He saw the tragedy and asked God to remedy it. So here, Elijah was questioning God, like, what in the world is going on, Lord? He didn't know why this was happening, and he certainly didn't expect this. God was sustaining life with provisions and miracles. He was not supposed to allow this unexpected death. So Elijah cries out to the Lord. And in tragedy, during unexpected trials, our reaction should always be to cry out to God. But up to this point, I imagine Elijah was pretty used to the Lord coming through for him and God doing some just awesome miracles. Yeah, God blessed me with my own brook of water. You know, I think of it Elijah's perspective. Yeah, God used a raven, a selfish bird, to bring me fresh fruit every day. You know, God used me radically to multiply food for me and this widow and her son every day. No big deal. God just comes through for me. God was doing the impossible. You know, he was defying all odds, providing in great ways, even on the backdrop of a drought and a famine. So why on earth would God allow this to happen to the widow's son? Well, God is about to turn a tragedy into a triumph so he alone can get the glory. And so before we go on, though, I want to talk about what would have happened if the son did not come back to life. Because we don't always understand the whys of life circumstances. But what we do understand is that we can trust God and entrust God with all that we have from Him. Sometimes He gives, sometimes He takes away. Either way, we can praise Him. And that's the question, do you trust God today? Do you believe that He has your best interests in mind? Do you believe that He can even use a tragedy like this to draw people to Himself and help souls rise out of the depths of despair? Yes, because this is what God does. This is the pattern of the actions that God takes. We can always and should always trust God. He is good. So what happens? Well, in verse 21 to 24, Elijah raises the son from the dead. It says, Elijah stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord. So this wasn't a normal prayer posture or prayer technique. This was different. It's kind of like Elijah, like, what are you doing? But, but Elijah had been led by God, and he was still led by God to take this action. He wasn't acting rashly. He was still in communication with God. And we know the whole story, and we know that his prayer was answered. His prayer wasn't answered because of the posture of his prayer. His prayer was answered because of his faith in God. So many people cling to techniques, and they think that God came through because of a certain way they did something when they prayed. It's almost like superstition. You know, baseball players. They have this routine that they do when they come up to the plate, right? They fix their Velcro on their gloves every time. You know, they straighten their hats the same way every time they spit, right? They, they go through the routine because they feel like they have to. They think that if they do the exact same thing every time, that they'll hit a double, you know, they'll, they'll hit a home or maybe a grand slam. If they don't do this routine, then they believe they will play horribly. But it's not the routine or the way that they fix the uniform that causes them to do well. Right? It's because they've been to the plate many times before and they had a lot of practice and they've hit homers and they've prepared so much. 
See, Elijah's prayer wasn't answered because of the posture in which he prayed. His prayer was answered because he simply prayed with faith. He trusted God, and he trusted the outcome of what God would do. His prayers weren't filled with doubt, skepticism, or unbelief. He prayed in faith. And notice, Elijah didn't pray for two hours. This was an urgent prayer for quick healing. Would there be anything wrong with a two-hour prayer? Absolutely not. But Elijah just simply and quickly and in faith prayed, Oh Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. So Elijah didn't casually, nonchalantly give a mindless before a meal prayer for this child. He pleaded with the Lord. He sought God passionately and faithfully and probably painfully because Elijah's witness went right out the window when the soul of the child went right out of his body. So Elijah prayed and it says, then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. So there was a twofold response from God. The son was raised from the dead and God provided for the widow. So now the widow saw God's provision in two miraculous ways. Number one, God had supernaturally multiplied the food. And number two, God had raised her son from the dead. And both instances, God used Elijah as a conduit to demonstrate God's provision and God's power. God's provision and God's power. And this is the first example in the Bible of one who was dead and then revived by God. And it wasn't the prophet who brought the revival, it was God through the prophet. No, it's not us who... We can't do any miracles apart from God. It's God doing the work through us. All glory to Him. And maybe some of you today, though, need a revived heart. Maybe your spiritual life feels dead and cold. Maybe you're distant from God and complacent to the fact that that you're not walking by faith. And the truth is, if you're alive, it's never too late to ask God to awaken your soul and to ignite a fire in your heart for the Lord. And I believe He wants to revive those who are just stagnant and idle, those who, whose Christian life is cultural and just going through the motions of faith, you know, those who have lost their first love like the Ephesian church did in Revelation 2, revival doesn't start with the church, it starts with individual hearts. So Elijah prayed and he pleaded with God and the child came back to life. So what did the widow do? Still blame Elijah and her sin? No. She saw the raw power and the provision of God And so her faith flourished, and she rejoiced. Her son came back to life. She saw firsthand the provision and now the power of God. And you've seen the same thing. And that's the question. How is your faith? Do you need a revived heart now? If so, how do we get a revived heart? First, die to self, and then walk by faith. This widow was like... Now I know that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. You know, I saw him work. To see God work, we must abandon unbelief and cling to God, trusting him. Because God is working right now in your midst. And that's another question. Do you know that today? God is working right now in your midst, in the middle of the situation that you're in, presently right now. The Lord is working, and God's word is truth. We can trust the truth, because it's from God. Cling to those promises. Cling to what you do know. When you don't know what to do, cling to what you do know, what God has said in His Word. Those promises that have helped you in the past will help you in the present. Dig into it. Dig into God's Word and let it you know, seep into your heart. Let it percolate in your mind. Ponder it. Meditate on it. Pray it in. 
so that discouragement will be eradicated and encouragement will be sort of uh, uh, grafted into our life and our hearts and our minds. The Lord is working. God's word can be trusted and his ways can be heeded because he knows what he's doing. Always. And that's something I always say because that's something I remind myself, especially when I have no clue what's going on. God knows what he's doing. Well, how do I know God knows what he's doing? Because it talks about, the Bible talks about his sovereignty from Genesis to Revelation. All 66 of the books of the Bible talk about his sovereignty. Well, how, what, what, is that, what do you mean? Like he's in control. He knows what he's doing. He's got you. He's got me. He's with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Take all those promises, you guys, and let them open your heart and open your mind to taking that encouragement from his word. But we all, we all go through these unsure times. And in a sense, and I'm not saying everyone, but in a sense, we're kind of all going through that together right now. Right? This time where it's like we, we have this temptation to, that our hearts would be unsettled, that we'll just kind of like walk away from the Lord or we'll be like, forget this. I can't believe this is going on. I'm so frustrated. I'm so restless. We'll, we all go through these unsure times. We should also get that God hasn't changed, though, because of the hardships in life. He is good, right? He is loving, those are facts. Couple that with the fact that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you'll have hope that is sure. The result will be a built faith, a sure trust, and a heightened confidence in Christ. Like the last worship song said, through it all. Let's remember that. God is faithful through it all, you guys. That's what I want to leave you with. God is faithful through it all. He will revive your heart. He will give you the promises to lift you up, to encourage your heart, encourage your life and trust in Him even more to build your faith. Well, God bless you guys. Let me pray, and then, uh, yeah, we'll end the service. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank You for Your Word. We just thank You, God, that um, You speak to us through it. It's that rhema word. God, we just thank You that uh, all Your promises are yes and amen in You, Lord, and uh, help us to trust You even more through this time. Uh, Again, settle our hearts, but give us a strength, Lord, that's from You, and that we would lean upon You, depend upon You for every single thing. We love you, God, and uh, we just thank you for this night. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen.